I just stopped my membership with the Academy of Dietetics because they had a lot of, I don't want to say vegan propaganda, but they were pushing a lot of studies that were more plant-based focused. I don't think they're coming up with ways that people can get other nutrients in their diet that they're lacking when they're vegan. I'm Jane Z, and this is Farm to Future, the podcast all about eating better for the planet. You're about to meet one of my favorite people in the food world, and yes, her name happens to be Amy Adams. Amy is a registered dietitian, and she's one of the rare nutrition experts who actually grows her own food. She has a backyard garden, raises her own chickens, and her husband hunts deer once a year, which feeds their household for the better part of the year. Today, we're going to talk about the big nutritional blind spot when it comes to plant-based diets and why it's so dangerous for dietitian schools to be pushing for plant-based. Amy walks us through her own journey from being scared into veganism to filling her nutrient gaps with animal products and then adopting a new perspective on hunting as a way to locally source animal protein. Super interesting stuff. If you're new here, I hope you stick around. I would love to hear from you over on Instagram at farm.to.future. And you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. As we're heading into a recession, here's a way you can support local food systems and make money on your savings. It's called Steward. I had their founder, Dan Miller, on the show and was really impressed by how they support small-scale regenerative farms through flexible loans. Now here's the cool part. Steward allows you and me to chip into these loans with as little as a hundred bucks. You can loan to specific projects or pool into a bigger fund and you get your money back plus up to 10% interest. To get started, check out gosteward.com. I am here with my Instagram bestie, Amy Adams, not that Amy, but (laughs) the other Amy Adams. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jane. Thank you so much for having me on. We're heading into fall, and I feel like now is a great time for people to settle into some new routines. I remember us talking about your grocery bill a few months ago, and I think you mentioned that over the winter, you and your husband spent only about $20 a week on groceries on top of sourcing what you already had locally, so eggs from your chickens and a deer that your husband hunted. So I kind of wanted to just seed that with listeners and then have you give us a little bit of background of what you do, your expertise, and then, yeah, I'd love to break down that grocery bill and look at how exactly you and your husband achieved that. Yeah, sure. So I'll go into my background first. So I'm Amy Adams, not the celebrity, unfortunately. I get that (laughs) a lot. I'm a registered dietitian. So just like a little bit of background, you know, you hear the word nutritionist passed around, you hear the word registered dietitian, then there's, you know, our Instagram influencers who might not call themselves either. So um, a registered dietitian, as of right now, you have to have at least a bachelor's degree, so a four-year degree from an institution that's accredited by the Commission on Dietetic Registration, so CDR. I work for an internship program, so we take students who are just fresh out of college and going to be dietitians, and a lot of times we get calls from people who say they've they've taken a college course or they've taken a program on nutrition, and it's not necessarily accredited, so you do have to go to an accredited college. 
And then on top of that, once you graduate, you also have to do a thousand hours of internship hours from different backgrounds. So, you know, doing things in a clinical realm, so in a hospital setting to community settings, community outreach, working for food banks, um, WIC, different things like that. And also food service, so food service management, which wasn't my favorite in school, but um, learning about, you know, different prep methods, managing people who work in food service, purchasing and receiving, all of that fun stuff. So uh, we have a lot under our belt. And then on top of that, we also have to take a board exam. So just like a physician or a nurse has to take an exam. So that's the difference. A nutritionist, you know, anybody could take a course or read a book and call themselves a nutritionist. So it's not, mm. it's not necessarily a regulated term. So I've only been a dietitian since 2014. So I've worked in hospitals for the most part. And for the past two and a half years, I have worked for an internship program where we take aspiring dietitians and mold them into the dietitians that they'll soon be. So that's my background. Other than that, I'm very into sustainability. I guess you could call me a real food dietitian if you wanted to put a label on it. So I'm really into sourcing your own meat, creating your own food. So gardening, raising livestock. I also run a podcast where I talk about that. And I also have a blog as well. So that is like bare bones, minimum basics on me. Oh. This was great. Thank you for okay. spelling out the difference too, between nutritionist and registered dietitian. Cause I feel like I use those terms interchangeably. So that's, mm -hmm. yeah, really helpful. On the sustainability piece, I kind of see you as the next generation of Diana Rogers. If mm -hmm. folks listening are familiar with Sacred Cow and her work, I guess there's a whole big world around nutrition. And then there's a big world around food sustainability and self-sufficiency. And people like you and Diana Rogers really fall squarely in the middle of that Venn diagram. But I feel like I don't see a ton of people who have the training and background that you have, who also, you know, you actively are running a homestead. You know, you raise your own chickens. You guys have property where you garden. Do you want to tell us a bit about how you got into that world? Yeah. So, so my husband really has been the catalyst for this. Um, I do have to give him a lot of credit. So he's been hunting from a really young age, which I'm sure we'll unpack. And he's, he's just always because of that and being like an outdoorsman, I guess you could call him. He's always been really into like sourcing his own food. Uh, when we first started living together, he had a bunch of house plants, which I at the time was like, Oh my gosh, I hate house plants. Like it's just another <laughs> no responsibility for me. Still to this day, I mean, we have a couple house plants and I, thankfully we have an aloe plant, which requires minimal water. And, uh, in 2020, when the world shut down, you know, we had just bought our first house and Yay. we did try to find a house that had some property with it too. We moved into this house and the world shut down. And thankfully we did have this big yard to, you know, mosey around and actually like get out of our house. Whereas a lot of people, I feel for them who live in apartments and were kind of contained behind four walls for a long, long time. We actually got to venture out. So we started creating a garden in my backyard and Josh, my husband ran most of that for a while. But then with nothing to do, I'm like, well, I can dabble in this. Like I've, it, the weird thing about me being a dietitian is that I had never 
actually grown food or really like seen food grow. Like I had a small garden growing up, but it was mostly like my mom did tomatoes and chives and kind of like things that you can do in containers, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, so that was really weird for me to kind of like look at myself and be like, well, I know I could tell you, you know, all the antioxidants and different vitamins and minerals and all of these foods, but I couldn't even tell you how to grow them. So So that was really my start into sustainability. I mean, it's an honor to even be categorized in the same category as Diana Rogers because she's amazing. But yeah, as someone who considers themselves a real food dietitian, there's there's not a ton of us in this realm. And I think it really does have to do with the schooling, unfortunately. Let's talk a bit about your relationship with Josh. So much to unpack there. But when you met him, you were vegan. Tell us how, first of all, how you decided to go vegan. And then was it through your relationship with him that you decided to start eating meat again? Yeah, great question. So it was either my junior year or my first senior year. I had to take a course called Food Culture and Society. And one of the documentaries that we had to watch as part of that course was Food Inc., Mm, uh, which a lot of people are familiar with. And I don't have anything against that documentary. Um, I love that Joel Salatin's in there talking about like regenerative farming. And this isn't to say that I don't think, you know, I seeing factory farming and the way certain animals are treated in these large factory farms, I do think that that is awful and I don't think it should occur. But I also think that a lot of it is scare tactics and not not all large farms necessarily use those kinds of methods. I do think it still does occur. Food Inc. kind of scared me into becoming a vegan. Um, Mm. Not only that, because it does, I believe, talk about the different health outcomes of people who eat meat too, and how that's tied to, you know, rising heart health issues and diabetes and and all of that stuff, which was kind of beaten into our heads. So from that, I think I started becoming vegetarian first and then slowly slipped into veganism. Um, I did watch Forks Over Knives too, which is another documentary. And that one, that one's interesting because it doesn't go in depth into the farming practices as much as it does like the health aspects of eating meat. So that one kind of like scared me into veganism. Um, I was really into Alicia Silverstone, which looking back, I'm like, why did, (laughs) why did anyone follow her? Like, what are her credentials to be talking about nutrition and all this stuff? So other than being a fabulous celebrity. (laughs) Yeah. I I love Alicia Silverstone, nothing wrong with her. I just don't necessarily think she's like accredited to be talking about all these nutrition things. But at the time too, I was extremely busy. I was in my internship and going to school at the same time. So two to four courses a semester and then doing on top of that, like 30 hours of internship work. Plus, if you get to know me, you'll know that I'm kind of like a Glenn for punishment. So um, I was also trying to run a half marathon at that time, which I didn't succeed with which I'm trying to do now. So I was running, you know, two hours a day for like, I don't know, a couple months. And I really started to feel awful because I wasn't getting some of the nutrients that I should have been getting. I know you've been vegan before, but for, for those of you who 
have never dabbled in veganism, it's extremely hard. It's hard to live a busy lifestyle and not necessarily get those sources of protein and dairy and everything like that. And so I was a vegan for a while. I felt really, really not so great. And I think another aspect when you are vegan is that you have to rely on carbohydrates a lot. And unfortunately, sometimes simple carbohydrates don't make us feel very good. It wasn't so much about like fitting in and trying to be like an animal advocate necessarily, but it was a lot for me, like the nutritional aspect and the health aspect, because my courses, my professors were saying this is the way to eat. And then having, you know, forks over knives and food ink crammed down our throats. So that was a lot of it. And meeting Josh, I mean, he is amazing. He's very understanding and really into individuality and respecting everybody's opinions. So he was never like looking at me like, oh, veganism, like that's (laughs) awful. You know, his family's been great too. But I do remember the first time we went out to eat his dad, I think I got like eggplant parmesan. He's like, wait, so that has no meat in it. And I'm like, yeah, no meat. And he's like, do you eat meat? And I'm like, no. And he's like, so no chicken. I'm like, no. He's like, no beef. He like listed every single, every single kind of meat you could think of. And I was just like saying no to all of them. But all of that to say, they were super respectful of me. I didn't start eating meat again because of him. I would say it was more like I was so busy, couldn't keep up with the vegan lifestyle, felt awful. So, so that was really it. Wow. There's so much I want to follow up on. I want to unpack what you learned in school around meat and nutrition, because it seems a little off-putting, even scary that they'd be putting into registered dietitian courses saying like, you shouldn't eat meat because X, Y, Z. And we certainly have science to disprove that. Can you unpack a little bit for us, like what was taught and then now through your own research, what you've learned? Yeah. So throughout my courses in undergrad, it wasn't necessarily saying, you know, that we should cut out all meat and be vegan or vegetarian, but there was definitely an emphasis on reducing meat, which I don't necessarily think is is a bad thing, but I think when you're, you know, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and you're kind of pushing this more plant-based forward diet, I think a lot of people are going to take that to the extreme and not necessarily like look at the nitty gritty and like the dietary guidelines, which are moving more toward a plant-based focus. And our dietary guidelines bleed into everything, nutritional aspects of school lunch and Mm -hmm. other things like that. Um, I will say that I am currently in grad school too. And I had a very hard time because I actually took a course that was called Contemporary Issues in the Food System there was a lot of information thrown at us that was showing meat consumption is linked to heart disease and cancer and type 2 diabetes. And on the other aspect, looking at environmentalism, that it was also extremely damaging to the environment, which, you know, I would argue, yes, in a place that's a CAFO, so a concentrated animal feeding operation, yes, potentially it is detrimental to the environment. But you and I know that different kinds of farms that practice regeneratively or just have their animals on pasture, that can actually help with our carbon cycle. 
So I would say the nutrition courses are more plant-based now than they were even when I was an undergrad, which was eight years ago. And they're still kind of feeding us, I don't necessarily want to say the lie, but feeding us this information that if you do eat more meat, that it's linked to all of these diseases. And a lot of the studies, for one thing, don't like weed out certain aspects. So if you have two different populations and you're trying to figure out if eating meat correlates to cancer or heart disease, and you're watching these populations in like a longitudinal study throughout many years, certain studies that are linking meat consumption to heart disease or cancer aren't weeding out, okay, well, do these people smoke? Like, Mm. what is their exercise routine? So we know smoking can lead to heart disease. We know smoking can lead to cancer. If you're not weeding those things out, how can you say that the red meat consumption is necessarily correlated to the cancer or the heart disease? And honestly, I haven't gone too in-depth into some of these studies. So I can't say for certain what these studies resulted in, but I personally just stopped my membership with the Academy of Dietetics because they had a lot of, I don't want to say vegan propaganda, but they were pushing a lot of studies that were more vegan-focused and plant-based focused. I don't necessarily think they're coming up with ways that people can get other nutrients in their diet that they're lacking when they're vegan. So, you know, it's our job to really focus on if somebody wants to go plant-based or vegan, you can't just eat lar bars all day or refined carbohydrates, which I think a lot of people, myself included, lean on when they're vegan or vegetarian. Yeah, absolutely. When you say the nutrients that someone would lack if they're on a vegan diet, you're pointing to protein, I'm guessing, and probably vitamin B12 and DHA. Does that check out? Yeah, yeah. So vitamin B12, definitely. Um, You can't get vitamin B12 from any plant sources. The plant sources that people point to like nutritional yeast or tofu or nut milks, they're all fortified. So the manufacturer is actually putting that B12 back into those foods. Iron too, so non-heme iron versus heme iron, your body absorbs heme iron better. And then other things that you mentioned like DHA and different things like that. You have to realize that the nutrients that you're getting from meat or dairy are much more concentrated and readily absorbed by your body. Take iron, for example. If you're comparing eating three ounces of meat to, you know, a cup of spinach or a cup of beans or something like that, you're going to have to eat a significantly higher amount of beans or amount of spinach to get that same concentration of iron. Even then, we don't know how much your body would actually absorb of that non-heme iron. I mean, we can guesstimate heme iron is absorbed around 20%, whereas something like spinach or beans, that's only like 7 to 10% absorbed by your body. You'd probably have to eat a mountain of spinach and beans. Yes. <laughs> and that sounds like a lot of gas as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah. There was a news piece recently that came out that New York City Public Schools is doing Meatless Mondays. So they've been doing that Mm. for a while and they're introducing vegan Fridays. Yeah. Which is 
really concerning when it comes to nutrition, especially for kids who might not get that nutrition at home and rely on school lunches. This just takes away two opportunities during the week as their brains are developing to get that animal-based nutrition they need. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned that. I was actually just listening to a YouTube video, um, which Diana Rogers was speaking at a farm and she was talking about that Mm. and saying that in New York City, it was a large percent of the children are either very low income or I think she said 10% are homeless too, which I was like, oh my goodness, that's awful. So the nutrition in these kids' diets, like most of it is coming from school. So Mm. if, you know, the kid's going home and they're having a TV dinner or soda or anything like that, like school is where they can rely on having a nutritious meal. So if you're looking at cutting out certain meats or dairy products, like what are you left with? Like, what are they going to give them? You know, a bun with... (laughs) I don't know, or mac and cheese, but then like if it's vegan Fridays, what is the cheese? What are they creating there? I think I saw a picture and it was like vegan sausage and like a wrap or something. It wasn't even like real vegetables. Like it would be one thing if vegan Fridays meant like you got farm fresh vegetables from like a local urban farm, but it wasn't even that. Let's shift gears and talk about the fun stuff. AKA hunting and venison. I remember you saying in your podcast that at one point you got really excited about hunting, whereas like you used to have a very different impression of it. And then as you got exposed more to what Josh did and how he spent time in nature, you kind of warmed up to it and you got excited about the nutrition of venison and the cost savings. So I never grew up hunting. I think in Massachusetts too, definitely where we live around Boston, I don't think there's a huge population of hunters here. I definitely had a warped perception of what hunting was. I thought it was pretty cruel. I'm an animal lover. I've volunteered at humane societies throughout my life. I have two rescue dogs. Love, love, love animals. When I did start dating Josh and we moved in together and I was seeing him hunt in the fall, I definitely had a new perception of hunting. And I can't speak for all hunters, but just from knowing Josh and his friends and his family and everybody that hunts, I will say that they're very respectful, not only of the animals' lives, but definitely the game too and being an outdoorsman. So a lot of people don't realize like you can't just pick up a gun and go out in the woods and start hunting. Like there's a process where you have to have your gun registered, but you also have to have a hunting license as well. Once you kill the animal deer, for an example, like you have to have that weighed, you have to report it to, I believe it's like the wildlife conservation, whatever that foundation is for each state. So there's a lot that goes into it. And as much as Josh loves to source his own me, the way that he hunts, he's always trying to make sure that the animal doesn't suffer because if the animal's suffering, it's releasing more cortisol and Mm. that cortisol can cause the meat to taste differently too, right? The Mm. stress hormones. And you can look up videos of people who are hunting. That moment that you kill a deer, like you're faced with, wow, I just took another animal's life or I just took another being's life. And what you'll see on the internet is people like shaking. They're really like in shock of what they just did. And as much as Josh has hunted throughout his life, like he never really gets over that 
that point of, wow, I just took another animal's life. And because of that, he is very, very into using every single part of the animal. So the meat, the hide, the liver, like he'll find a way to use that. That to me is more sustainable and more respectful of the animal's life and more humane than some of our factory farms out there, right? That animal is living its life. There's nobody telling it you have to stay within this farm or within these parameters, or you're going to be crunched in with a bunch of other animals. Like that animal is just outliving its life. And then hopefully the kill will be nice and easy and the animal won't have to suffer through that. Whereas some animals on factory farms, they're suffering day in and day out. That's really where my perception started to change. I do think that if you have this perception of hunting is just cruel and you know it's all for the sport and the trophy, I would recommend going to talk to some hunters and actually see what it's all about because I think you would definitely have a different perspective on it. I think in a lot of ways, modern life has twisted things that have been a part of humanity for so long. If you think about hunter-gatherer societies and how we lived before agriculture, that was how we sustained ourselves. And there's still indigenous people who practice this today. And I would say probably the way Josh hunts is in honor of those traditions where you're honoring the sacredness of this animal's life and really leveraging its body parts, its protein, but also the hide into like into an afterlife, I guess. Not to sound so spiritual, but <laughs> yeah, no. um, yeah, but to to give this animal sort of like its next life. Right. You guys didn't end up eating the liver, right? No, I would have no problem eating the liver. And a lot of the stuff that I've looked up says that the liver accumulates toxins because it is like mm -hmm. the body's detoxifier. So Josh can't get that out of his head. He won't eat it. I probably would. I've had beef liver before, but never venison liver. We both follow Carnivore MD, mostly for the laughs, but he'd probably be into the liver. <laughs> yes, definitely. It has a very, I mean, beef liver anyways, it has a very, very strong taste. The first time I made beef liver meatloaf, I had to hide it in a lot of spices, but I tried to make liver burgers. So literally oh. just like ground beef, liver ground up and then some spices and it was awful oh um, no <laughs> and i'm i'm really like earthy crunchy i would say so for me to think something is awful and not eat it yeah it's just not good oh so. no um i grew up eating liver i i want to say it was pork liver it might have been beef liver but the way we make it and it's like a pretty simple chinese dish i would say you cut it up into little like flat triangles and you saute it I think sometimes we would saute it with green beans mm -hmm. and it had like a rich taste. I think you put like a little bit of cornstarch on it too, but I remember that being really good. And the other rich tasting thing we would have that takes a while to get used to is pork blood. Mm -hmm. um, you Aww. can get pork blood in these blocks. It kind of looks like tofu, but like deep red. And you mm -hmm. can cook that also saute it with veggies. I'll have to try that. Yeah. It sounds like Josh goes out and hunts one deer a year. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, that's typically what ends up happening. It's usually one deer. I know this year he's trying to get a few, mm -hmm. um, which would be great because right now one deer 
typically lasts us like five or six months. So a few deer would definitely last us a year. Wow. So what kind of cuts is that? And I guess, what are some of your favorite ways to make venison? Yeah, that's a good question. So the first one that he hunted in 2020, that was around 180, 185 pounds. And that one he actually had sent out to a butcher. So that person processed all the meat into steaks. I think we got to keep the ribs, which is another thing. We use the ribs and we actually like cook the ribs as you would like pork ribs too. Mm -hmm. We got lots of sausage, ground meat, which I love, love, love. They actually even made like a meatloaf, which was really cool. And I Mm -hmm. loved because it was just a frozen meatloaf. So you just had to unthaw it and put in the oven. The butchering that we got done, I think it was a little under $300, which isn't bad if you think about it, if that's lasting you five or six months, I think that's about 50 bucks a month. But Josh and his dad ended up butchering the deer this year. And again, kind of the same cuts like they did. They ground up the beef. We had steaks. We had ribs, which were awesome. The way that I usually prepare it, I love the ground beef because I usually do taco bowls. So putting in just regular like McCormick seasoning packets and making the taco meat and putting all of that good stuff like avocado and everything into it. And then I also make Greek tzatziki bowls. You know, you could do stuffed peppers, the steak, we just like reverse sear it like you would a regular beef steak. The ribs, I think he smoked them and then put them on the grill for a little bit too. I think that was around 4th of July. So so there's a lot of stuff you can do with it. I would say it kind of tastes similar to beef. Everything you can do with steak or beef is the same that you can really do with venison. The Greek tzatziki bowl sounds amazing. Yes, that's that's one of my favorites for sure. Random question. Did you have to buy an extra freezer to store all the meat? Good question. We did not have to. I mean, you would have to buy an extra freezer if you're thinking about doing this, but we were actually like gifted a freezer. I couldn't even tell you where <laughs> I got it from, to be honest with you, but it's been in our, our garage since 2019, so... That is yeah, super but handy. You, you would definitely need an extra. You couldn't just put it in like your freezer in your kitchen. You'd need an extra freezer for sure. Yeah. I wonder if there's, you know how Walden Local Meats and Butcher Box does like meat shares of local farmed meat. I wonder if there's a similar thing or if that's even legal for game. Yeah, that's something to consider. There's a company, Force of Nature, that does like buffalo and different mm. things like that and really like promotes wild games. So if somebody wants to create that or wants to help me create that, I'm all about it for sure. Let's do it. Startup time. (laughs) I'm down. I mean, yeah, because as you're talking about this, I'm like, this sounds amazing. Like sourcing your meat locally, knowing where it came from. It has tons of nutrition, which I I still want to hear about, but I'm not a hunter and I, I, you know, it sounds like there's a lot involved to get out there and actually go hunting, but I would love to partake in the local economy of hunting. 
Definitely. And I will say as much as I talk about how much it saves us money, like the act of hunting itself is very expensive. When you're first starting out, like it is an expense to either buy a gun or the licenses themselves are expensive. And then if you want to be like a bow hunter, like bows are really expensive. I've been looking oh. into that myself recently. <gasps> like bow and um, arrow, you mean? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, so. Yeah, bow hunting. I I just got into it. I was actually at my sister's house. I think it was 4th of July and they have like a play bow. Uh And I was just playing with that. And I was like, I'm really good at this. And I was like loving it. Oh my gosh. Um, And Josh actually just got his first professional bow a year or two ago. So he's really into that now. So I'm like, this could be like a thing for us. Oh my gosh. You could be, yeah, (laughs) you could be Katniss Everdeen. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> I was going to ask too if you've ever been hunting with Josh or if you plan to. Yeah, so I I have been out hunting with him, but I haven't actually shot anything before and I haven't actually seen him shoot anything. The one time we did go out, I consider it. I'm still nervous um, mm-hmm. and I think that's normal for people who aren't around that all the time or partaking in that. I think that's normal. I've recently, I think I told you I went to Polyface. Uh, yes. We had to watch them butcher chickens and rabbit while we were there. And so oh, that wow. was like really big to like confront myself with that. Wow. Bold. So they had that as part of the workshop. Like, yes. have you witnessed the butchering? Wow. Yeah. How, yeah, it was how a lot. was that? It, it was good. I, I talked about this on one of my podcasts, but I was the only one that had to like step away. And mm. I, it wasn't because of the actual act of butchering. It was more so the blood, which I've never been good with, which is why I did not become a nurse. Um, <laughs> one, one of many reasons why I didn't become a nurse, but dietitians don't really have to deal with blood all that often. Mm. So that's good. I am so with you. I'm like, even if I get a little cut, I freak out because I just do not like blood at all. Yeah. That's reasons me. why I did not go into medicine. Yes. Before I forget nutrition of venison, I'd love to mm-hmm. hear about it. Yeah. So I didn't actually eat the venison that Josh caught for a while. For one reason, we lived in North Carolina when we were first together and the vegetation is very different down there. So it's a lot swampier. The deer down south look distinctly different from the deer that are up here and that makes their meat taste different. So the first deer that Josh hunted when we were together, it did not taste good. It tasted very gamey. It just tastes like very feral, I guess. I don't even know how to, I don't know how to describe it. like my meat tame. Yeah. Um, so after I had that piece of venison, I was like, I think I'm out of commission for a while. I don't think I want to eat all this venison. And then 2020 happened. And so for one thing, I was like, well, we have all this meat, you know, we are in a pandemic. Like I want to be conscious of what I'm buying and not necessarily like wasting money. And if we have all this meat, I want to eat it. And then I think one night he actually cooked it for us and and I ate it and it tasted distinctly different than the one I had in North Carolina. And of course my nutrition brain turned on and I was like, you know what? I don't even know like what the nutrition profile of venison is. And I started looking it up and it's for the most part, I would say it's 
pretty comparable to beef. Um, chicken, it's like off the charts for certain nutrients. So at the time I was eating a lot of chicken, so I didn't even know that some of these nutrients that were in venison were much higher than it was in a comparable size. So looking at like three ounces to three ounces portion of chicken. So some of the nutrients that I got really excited about, vitamin B12, of course, this is a vitamin that forms our red blood cells, helps with DNA creation and nerve development. A three ounce portion of venison, so we're looking at venison steak, is about 10 micrograms, whereas with chicken, it's 0.3 micrograms and beef is 1.2. So it's like way off the charts. It's like a 425% of your daily value for just a small three ounce portion of venison. If you look at other things, so there's an amino acid called histidine, and that's an essential amino acid. So meaning that our body cannot create it. Some amino acids, which are the building blocks of protein, our body can actually produce itself, but histidine is not one of them. It's Mm. essential and it needs to come from our diet. Different studies have shown that histidine can improve things like metabolic syndrome, And metabolic syndrome can increase your risk for heart disease, stroke, and diabetes and different things like that. And it also improves weight. It can help with insulin sensitivity. So that insulin helps to get the glucose into your cells rather than like kind of hanging out in your blood serum, which can cause obviously diabetes if that's repeated over and over again, if you're getting really high glucose readings. So venison is very high in histidine compared to your beef or your chicken. It's off the charts with iron too. So a three ounce portion of venison steak has about 3.8 milligrams, whereas beef is 1.4 and chicken is 0.9. So it's very high in iron, which our body needs for developing blood cells and carrying oxygen to our lungs and to the body. Iron helps with forming different hormones. Um, The last one that I'll touch upon here is choline. And choline is really weird because it's not a vitamin or a mineral. It's actually a water-soluble compound. And it's the precursor to acetylcholine, which some people have heard because it's in drugs that help with cognition. So acetylcholine is created from choline. And a lot of studies show that people who were supplemented with acetylcholine, the less likely you are to get Alzheimer's or age-related dementia. I'm very into nutrition for pregnancy right now, too. So choline is also essential during pregnancy. Babies require choline for fetal brain development and also placental function. And choline along with folate, which I think it's like being into our heads that folate helps to stop neural tube defects, but choline actually helps to prevent neural tube defects as well. That's just a little blip of the nutrition of venison. Uh, It's really a powerhouse. And I liken that to the diet that the deer's on too, right? So like a lot of our cows or our beeves rather, as Joel Sullivan says, um, <laughs> beeves, <beeves. laughs> they're fed grain, which they're ruminants. So they should be eating grass, but the deer, the deer is always eating grass. The deer is always eating bugs. Mm-hmm. There's nobody going out into the wild and and giving the deer, you know, Purina grain or anything like that. It's always eating vegetation and bugs. It sounds like venison is the super nutrition dense food. 
If I was a marketer putting a campaign around it, I'd be like, venison, new superfood of 2022. <laughs> yeah. But to that point, I think that's difficult too, because our interaction with deer, especially in like Massachusetts and suburbia is like when the deer's in our backyard and it's so cute. And I think that's definitely a hurdle to getting it out there and being marketed. I have, I have seen a lot more venison on the grocery store shelves, but the thing with that, Josh, he's very aware of chronic wasting disease. Mm. So CWD, it's a prion disease. So kind of like mad cow disease. Mm. And that occurs in a lot of the population of deer across the United States. So there's certain states that have a higher population of deer that are prone or have that CWD. So that's something to consider. Like, I would say that the venison on store shelves is probably okay to eat, but for us in my home, Josh will not let us buy any venison from the grocery store. Are any deer farmed or are, are these all like wild deer that are hunted? Yeah. So I would say the ones that are on the grocery store shelves, those are all farmed. Oh. Um, they do have hunting farms too, where you can pay. It's it's an outfitter. I think that's what it's called where you can pay. It's usually a, a good amount of money, a couple hundred bucks to go and hunt on these farms. So people will grow these deer kind of like their livestock and they're, you know, they're still on a good number of acres, but they are penned in. So they mm -hmm. really can't like escape. So some people do hunt deer that way. Personally, I think that's like not a fair game if the animal mm. is being penned in. Um, yeah, you're kind of cheating a bit. Yeah, that's just my personal opinion, though. We do have a deer overpopulation problem, though, in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to say it's like 300 million and it was like 10 million back in like colonial times. And that's, that's due to a lot of different things. For one thing, which I didn't realize until I, I watched a documentary, I think it was called Secret Life of Deer, but mm -hmm. ornamental vegetation. So what we put out is different cool looking bushes um, in our front yard. Deer really like to eat that. Mm -hmm. They really like vegetation that's cut down too. So like the more we deforest and the more we create suburban homes, the more you're going to see deer. So because of all those things, the deer population has definitely exploded. But There's yeah, also fewer predators that. for them because like who eats deer? It's like right. bears, wolves maybe, and there's fewer of those around. So the deer yeah. population goes unchecked. I feel like we covered a lot of ground today. I'm not sure if the message is like, hey, everybody go out and hunt, <laughs> but more so like, hey, here's a different perspective on how we can source our protein, but I'll let you put it in your own words. Yeah. So I think the message would be get to know people that hunt. If you're curious, you know, even ask to go out with them. Hunters love to talk about it and show people what they do. I think the other thing that I would say, I don't brand myself as being paleo or Whole30 or anything like that. People are very individual and what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for somebody else. So if you want to be plant-based, if that's your jam, if you don't like the taste of meat, don't agree with eating animals, I totally respect that. 
But you have to realize that meat provides much of our nutrition that we need to sustain our body. And if we don't get some of those nutrients, you know, we could see issues like iron deficiency, which I think a recent study came out and said that 25% of the global population is iron deficient. And like something crazy, like 50% of preschool age children are iron deficient too. And that is being correlated with lower consumption of meat. Another thing that I would want people to know is that, you know, you have to do the research yourself. That's something that I've really taken to heart recently. Don't take everything at face value, especially if it's, you know, on Instagram, always be looking at what are these people's credentials to tell me that I should eat less meat or go on a carnivore diet or something like that. (laughs) Like it, it works, it works for both ends too. And then look at the studies yourself. So, you know, were they weeding out people that smoked or were sedentary? What kind of study was it? Is it, you know, just looking at relative risk or is it showing causation? Was it randomized control? What is their motive? Like who's paying them? What is the funding if it's a study? I think that would be the overall general message here. I think I would also say that wild game is extremely nutritious. You can't really lose if you're eating wild game. I want to see a wild game cooking show from you (laughs) or maybe a cookbook and a company that sources and delivers wild game to your door. But we can get on that together. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think we're on to something. Well, this has been so much fun. I always learn so much from you. I love that you, you know, cite studies, you bring the facts, you bring the stats. Do you want to tell folks how they can stay in touch with your work? I run a podcast called The Backyard RD Podcast. I am on Instagram at Backyard RD. And I have a blog, www.backyardrd.com. I also have a YouTube channel, but that's also just Backyard RD. So definitely connect with me. Come and chat. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to nourish your body and I'll talk to you next time.